And it tells me that uh, that we're live. Let me just wait here for a second and uh, make sure that people can join us. Of course, I've I've been sending out emails and tweets and all that kind of thing to remind people to log in. Oh, there, here we go. We got people coming in. So let me uh, let me get the show rolling here, and we'll and we'll get underway. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Deal Making, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. Awesome. Well, welcome, everyone. And, and welcome, Doug. It's great to have you here. Great to be here, David. Thanks very much. So, you know, for, for those who don't know, uh, Doug, you are a licensed insolvency trustee. And, and, and this is a role that we have here in Canada. We're going to be talking today about small business, small business debts and people getting into trouble and, and you know, when they lose track of their finances and their business. But, but for those who are not familiar, could you explain a little bit about what uh, licensed insolvency trustee does, uh, what your role is, how you work with people? Yeah. So the licensed part of the name means I'm licensed by the federal government of Canada. So the superintendent of bankruptcy grants licenses to trustees, and we are the, the person, the entity that administers insolvency. So in Canada, we've got two basic types, proposals and bankruptcies. Either way, you need to have a licensed insolvency trustee involved in the process. In the United States, the system is a little bit different in that it's much more court driven. So it's much more lawyer heavy. If you're filing a chapter seven, a chapter 11, chapter 13, whatever it is, you're engaging the services of a lawyer. In Canada, we basically have rules that prevent lawyers from being licensed insolvency trustees. It's a, it's a wonderful system we have here in Canada. Um, although I do actually have at least one licensed insolvency trustee who was a lawyer, still is a lawyer, but they practice entirely in, in this venue. So we tend to be numbers people. We tend to have accounting backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And so our role is as that middleman, the middle person in the, in the process. When someone files a bankruptcy, whether it's a person or a corporation, I'm not working for the corporation. I am like the referee in a hockey game. I make sure that both sides follow the rules and uh, and that's what my role is. Okay. And so so can you give us a little bit then about your background? You mentioned that uh, a lot of people who take this trustee role tend to be numbers people. Is that uh, would that summarize your story too? Yes, I I'm an old man. I'm not going to say how old I am. Um but I graduated from university in the 1980s. So that's pretty old. And I started my career working for KPMG, big accounting firm. I was there for seven or eight years, went on to work for Coopers and Librand, now PwC. So I became a CPA and then I specialized in both the insolvency world and in um, valuation. So I'm also a CBV, a chartered business valuator, which again is a Canadian designation. I think it's similar to ASA in the United States. And so I, I worked with small and medium-sized businesses up until 1999 when my partner and I, Ted Michaelis, formed Hoys Michaelis & Associates, which is the uh, personal insolvency company that we've been running for, I guess, 24 years now. Okay. And so, you know, you mentioned there businesses becoming insolvent and you, and you talk about business 
owners. And a lot of the time, I would imagine that when a business becomes insolvent, it also then leads to the individual having to go through a process like this as well. Yes. And the, the first question I always ask someone when they call me with problems is, are you incorporated or not? Which probably to your viewers is kind of an obvious question. Well, yeah, well, it's it's not so obvious in a lot of cases. So if you are an incorporated business and the incorporated business gets into trouble, then the incorporated business has a problem. It doesn't necessarily mean that the owner has a problem, although it might. We can certainly talk about that. Obviously, if you are a sole proprietor, well, then you are the business. If the business has debts, you have debts. So that's a, a critical distinction that we we talk about right off the bat because the solution to the problem is going to depend a lot on the nature of that legal relationship and specifically what have you as the owner personally guaranteed or are personally liable mm. for in the incorporated entity. Okay, so can you give us maybe a, a story of, of what might look like your your common business owner client that might come through needing your help? Well, I don't know if you follow the news or not, dude, but there was this thing that happened in 2020 and everything was shut down. A whole bunch of stuff happened. I um, heard about that. You heard about that. Okay, yeah. that's good. Yeah. You're You're in the loop here. So that is certainly something that is a prime topic of discussion. I, you know, I've dealt with lots of people who operated a restaurant, operated some other kind of personal service business. They, you know, a hair salon, barbershop, whatever. Um, I talked to one guy who had a barbershop in one of the huge towers in downtown Toronto. And his rent was, I believe, $10,000 a month. Okay. This is a barbershop. And now downtown Toronto, biggest city in Canada, there was, you know, thousands and thousands of people walking by his door every day it made sense prior to the pandemic when everything got shut down boom nothing and yet the landlord's still saying well you got a lease you still got to keep paying me so in a lot of cases the business just had to close and the landlord didn't get paid there may have been suppliers who didn't get paid as well so now what do you do so the owner of that business has two problems number one i got all this debt from when i wasn't able to operate and number two i don't have a business anymore how, how am I going to pay the bills? So that is a very common scenario that we see. I guess the other common scenario that flows from that is tax debt. So okay. I operated the business. I was collecting, you know, HST, GST, which is our, our sales tax here in Canada, and or the business had profits in the past, and or the business has employee payroll deductions that did not get remitted to CRA, Canada Revenue Agency, Canada Pension Plan, Employment Insurance, that sort of thing. So when a business is in trouble, who do you, you got a limited amount of money, who are you going to pay? Well, I got to pay my suppliers or else I don't have a business. Got to pay my landlord or I get evicted. Who's at the bottom of the list? The government. And so in the first few, and they're they're often the they're often the least greasy wheel initially, yes, right? Because a exactly lot of the, right. a lot of the things we owe the government may only be reconciled when we do like an annual filing or a quarterly filing or something, right? So they're kind of behind uh, in the timeline versus every other uh, creditor. Yeah, absolutely. If, if you're on 30-day terms with your supplier and you don't pay, on day 31, you're getting a phone call. Whereas with the government, it might be a year later. It might be two years later. And of course, during the, the lockdowns, well, and even still today, CRA is largely working from home. 
So their efficiency levels have collapsed compared to what they were prior to the pandemic. And they weren't, you know, particularly efficient even back then. So it's very common for someone now to be getting a call about debts that are a couple of years old because yeah, squeaky wheel gets the oil. That ain't the squeaky wheel. I'm not paying it. So, so I think those are the big issues that we're, we're seeing people's businesses impacted by the lockdowns and that resulted in a bunch of debt and in particular tax debt. What now, you know, I can understand the barber who, you know, during the lockdowns, all of a sudden the traffic disappeared in front of their shop. It's very clear to that person very immediately that the business is no longer viable. Um, In in my experience in working with business owners, I meet a lot of these people who end up in this kind of like limbo zone where they have this business that's kind of marginal, that they're they're getting by, but they're not really doing well. And, and they become maybe unaware of some of the potential things that might be accruing against them, like the tax issues that you mentioned. Um, can you give us an example maybe of, of a, a, t- a common story in that kind of vein of, of someone who just kind of slowly finds themselves in this sort of problem? What what leads up to those conditions? Do you get into that often with your clients? Yeah, it's, again, very common. And I think the business that you just described is a business that was marginal before it started. But before 2020 got here. So yeah. it's very common, and you would know this better than I, that the owner operator of the owner operator of the business may not even be taking a salary. Hmm. They may get paid when there's money in there, but if there isn't, there isn't. And you know, hopefully they had some resources when they started the business. Perhaps their spouse has income, perhaps they've got other sources of income. So you know, the fact that my business isn't generating positive cash flow enough to pay me every month isn't a big deal. But then when the the lockdowns happen and now my revenue has collapsed even more, now it becomes much more obvious. So we see that in every kind of business. It doesn't matter. There's no industry specific example there. It is literally everyone. So any business that was undercapitalized to begin with or mm-hmm. and or where the owner and perhaps the owner has their family working there too and they are not drawing full salaries, that masked the problem. The problem was already there. This just made it that much worse. And that's what precipitated the downfall. When, when, when people typically come in and see you, is it because they've reached a point where they literally just don't have enough cash to cover bills or, or like how early do some of these people realize that they've got a problem that isn't going to be fixed with a business solution that they've got to come and, and, and talk with you? It's usually later than it should be. So let me ask you the question. If you have a sore tooth, how quickly is it that you go to the dentist? Is it the first time there's a little twinge, you're phoning the dentist and going in to get it looked at? No, not if you're anything like me. It's like, it's gotta be a problem over an extended period of time. And then there is generally a final hiccup that happens. I chip my tooth. I I don't know, what, whatever happens. And that's often the case in the, the business world as well. I know things are tough, but okay, so my suppliers are on 30-day terms, but if I pay them in 35 days, life goes on. If I pay them in 40 days, mm. 50 days, 60 days, 80 days, not, like at, I, I just keep stretching it out. But then one day something happens and it could be that one of those suppliers takes me to court. Okay, now I finally realize that this is serious. Or what might happen is the government for these taxes that I haven't paid decides, hey, we're freezing your bank account. And it's very common that I get a phone call 
from a business owner saying, hey, the, the government fr froze my bank account today. I'm saying, well, that's strange. They normally don't do that without any warning. No, I, I didn't know anything about it. Okay, did you get any letters? Well, yeah, there were a bunch of letters. I didn't really look at them. Do, do you have any idea, uh, like numbers-wise, how many bank account, how many business bank accounts the government might freeze in the run of a year? Like, are you privy to any kind of stats? Or I'm not. Um, but that is the best way to get someone's attention. And in fact, I have seen cases where the reason they froze your bank account is you haven't filed your taxes for three years. Right. Your your corporate tax return. I mean, in most cases, if you have employees and you're issuing paychecks every week, at the end of the year, you have to send in a T4 summary, which shows all the deductions and everything. That usually gets filed because your employees need their T4 or they can't file their taxes. So that's right. usually not the problem. The problem is my corporate taxes or my HST returns, my GST returns, ah, if I don't get them filed, what's going to happen? So the government will send you a letter saying, hey, you haven't filed your taxes. I, eh, I'll get to it. And then next thing you know, boom, your account's frozen. And for a government official, it's not about the money. It's about ticking the boxes. Because it's, it's not the right. CRA representative's money. What do they care? It's not the IRS's money. They don't care. But I've got a job and I got all these accounts assigned to me. And if the tax returns aren't filed, I don't look, I look bad. So how do I get your attention? Well, I sent you a letter. You can't really phone anybody anymore. Nobody answers the phone and, and CRA doesn't send emails or texts because that's some huge Or if story. somebody does call me saying they're from CRA, I'm automatically I don't believe it. some kind of phishing scam. Right. Exactly. I think right. I assume yeah. it's a scam. So it's only when I go and try to take money out of the bank that I can't. And I call the bank and they say, Oh yeah, there's this RTP or something, a requirement to pay notice that's that's frozen your bank account. Well, at that point, you're kind of pooched because they've already locked your bank account. Um, and that's what is often the final straw for someone called me. The problems have been there and building for a year or two, but there is that final event that uh, causes them to contact me. So, you know, there is a, another category of business. I mean, we talked about marginal businesses. We talked about your example of the barbershop, the person whose business suddenly just declined all of a sudden overnight. But there's a third category of business, and I'm, I'm meeting some of these people now. Uh, who during the lockdowns, they managed to stay alive. And a lot of the way that they managed to stay alive was through accumulating debt. So they, they borrowed money or they participated in government programs. Uh, there was a pandemic program in Canada called the SIBA loan, for example. So they took this money and they used that money for what it was for, which was to get through this period. Now they're back, they're operating again, but now they've got this, 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 uh, this anchor around the business. And, and they're, maybe they've recovered to the place they were before, but they have not been able to surpass that to the point where they can make repayments on these debts. Uh, are you starting to meet people that might fall into that category? Yeah, absolutely. And so before all this craziness started, maybe my business had an operating line of 50 grand or 100 grand or something with the bank, never had to draw on it. And perhaps I had some personal ability to borrow as well. So the the lockdown start okay i can draw on my line of credit if i need to no problem and but now that i'm you know back to normal and normal might be 80 percent of what i was might be 60 percent mm -hmm. of what I was. It, it, there aren't a whole lot of businesses that are doing double the volume that they were doing before all this started so under that scenario yeah okay i've got cash flow coming in but i've also got these debt payments as well 
And at the start of the craziness, the lenders were willing to be um, benign. I'm not going to shut you down if you're a little bit behind. Well, now we're into the middle of 2023. All that stuff is yeah. in the rearview mirror. Um, lenders got to start collecting. And so they are becoming more aggressive because, hey, we got to collect our money. And, you know, the government, again, you mentioned the the SIBA loans, which and there was similar programs in the U.S. as well. It is only now that CRA is starting to look at that. And we're, we're not even near the end of that because those specific loans don't have to be repaid until the end of 2023. So nobody's well, just on them yet. Originally, I mean, in the in the original documentation for those loans, people were supposed to start repaying at the end of 22. And then yes. when we got to the end of 22, they kicked it a year. Yep. And so they've, they're giving people a little bit of a reprieve. Uh, do you think that somebody in the government believes that it's going to be a, a problem when they try to start collecting these debts? Well, it, obviously it will be a problem, whether the government believes yeah. it or not. I don't know. But these were loans that were given out with really no criteria other than, well, you had to tick the box that your revenue was less than this much or you had this much from payroll or whatever the, the deal was. There were a whole bunch of different programs. And you're right. The deal is if you got a you know, $60,000 loan, if you pay back, I can't remember the exact numbers. I think it's 40,000 by the end of this year, they forgive 20, something like that. If you took, if you took the $40,000 loan and paid back 30, they'd forgive the balance. If you took the 60, you had to pay back 40. Yeah. For it. There you go. So, cause there were two different ones. You're right. It started as 40 and then it became 60. So nobody is late yet. And what I suspect a lot of businesses will do is they'll go, okay, well, if we can scrape together the 30 or the 40 or whatever we need, we'll get it paid by the end of the year. And that way the other portion is forgiven. And that's a fantastic deal. So I don't know of a whole lot of businesses that have already paid back their SIBA loan. Why would you? Because it's it's essentially a free loan until the end of this year. So the real tale will be told in January when a bunch of businesses were not able to repay their loans. Now, of course, it'll take the government six months to actually start pursuing them for them because right. all the loans were made through banks. So the banks would then have to begin collection processes and then kick it back to the government. So this is a problem for 2024 and 2025. It's not a, a problem for this year. Yeah. For for people that are business owners today, and there's a lot of different people in the audience who own a business today, what sort, and you mentioned about, you know, your payables keep getting pushed further and further back. What are the common warning signs that people should be attuned to, 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 to get them to wake up a little bit and pay more attention to what may be going on in their business? First question I would ask would be, if, if, if you called me into a business, I'd say, show me your cash flow model. Uh, what do you mean? Well, like, what is your cash position going to look like next week, next month? Do you have some way of forecasting that? No, I have mm -hmm. no idea because I never know when my customers are going to pay. Well, I know, I understand that. But if you only have one customer, then I guess your cash flows have a high degree of variability to it. But if you're a retail store, you've got 50 customers a day, a thousand customers a day, you should have a, a pretty good ability to project it. And I'm always surprised at companies, often even decent sized companies that have no clue. So if you can't project out where your cash flow is coming, that would be a huge warning sign to me because 
if you've got a few large customers and one of them doesn't pay, well, now you're toast. So, hmm. so where are you at in terms of being able to see the future? The other thing I would be looking at is, do you open your mail? Because the only reason you didn't know about this government thing coming after you is you you weren't opening your mail. So are you on top of that? And the, the other warning sign for me is, are you up to date with your filings? I'm not talking about actually making the payments. But here in Canada, there's a whole bunch of different things you got to do. You got your income taxes, corporate taxes, your source deductions for employees, HST, you got WSIB and EHT and all the other initials. Are you up to date with those? Because if you aren't, you have no clue how much you owe. Right. And, and those are things that I focus on. Now, obviously, there's all the other obvious ones. Do you have suppliers calling you? Do you have suppliers cutting you off? Do you have suppliers putting you on COD? Well, okay, those are obvious warning signs as well. Are you constantly bumping up against payroll? Is is payroll an issue the day of payroll? Are you scrambling to get an extra $1,000 to meet payroll? So if you have a serious cash crunch, that's a problem. But that's something you're aware of. You know that it's a problem every time payroll comes up. Those other things I mentioned first are a little more hidden, but they're certainly festering under the surface and are, are obviously serious problems. Doug, do you think that um, people avoid doing those things because they are either unaware or incapable of doing them? Or do you think that those behaviors start to manifest when people subconsciously know there's a problem that they don't want to recognize? I think it's both. Um, I mean, my theory of business, if you want to get a little philosophical and Zen here, is that you need three things. You need a maker, a seller, and a scorekeeper. So the maker is, okay, yeah, I'm the construction guy. I know how to hammer the nail. And okay, yeah, I know how to do that. I know how to produce my product. The seller, we all know what that is, the salesperson who can you know get out there and sell and sell. The scorekeeper, well, that's the accountant. That's the, the least sexy of the three by a wide margin. And do I really care if my financials are produced on time? Because who cares? The financials are for six months ago. Okay, but the scorekeeping is also... Are you getting your returns filed on time? Do you know what your margins are? Like, do you actually know what that product or service you're selling for is actually generating? Can you can you reasonably estimate that? Because just because you're doing lots of sales doesn't mean you're doing lots of, of um, income. So if one of those three things is lacking, then the whole business has uh, runs the risk of not being viable. Now, I don't know, maybe if you're a professional sports athlete and you get paid $20, 20 million a year, it's kind of hard to screw it up. Maybe you don't need a fantastic accountant to, to make it work and you don't really need to worry about sales. But for most of most businesses, it's all three of those things. So if you're lacking in one of those areas, then that is going to compound all your problems. So who is it that that either starts a business or buys a business? Well, it's somebody who has industry expertise in a lot of cases. You know, I mean, I'm a drywaller and I've been working for this idiot boss for years. I can start my own drywalling company. You know, I'm a good chef, so I'm going to start my own restaurant. Okay, you're a maker, but can you sell and can you do the scorekeeping? Because if you can't, you're going to get yourself into trouble. Yeah, no, it, it's it's a great way to think about it. Um, when, you know, to your point about uh, about about makers, I mean, I've met a lot of business people who got into business because of the reasons you just cited, because they're really good at something in particular and they're, and they're passionate and they're really good at what they deliver for customers. 
they get into this problem where they get into this marginal situation where they're not really making any money. They're not certainly not making enough money to compensate them for the time that they're putting in, what they could earn if they went and worked for somebody else, for example. And, and I will often say to these people, you know, here are the reasons why it doesn't make sense to continue unless you can create a plan to achieve these goals, whatever the turnaround looks like. And, and I've had more than one person look at me and say, okay, how do I stop? Because it's almost like they're a hamster on this wheel, right? They're just, they're in the momentum of doing all these things. You know, you talk about, you talk about uh, the chef, maybe they're a caterer and they've got things booked four months out and to tell them stop today and go get a job someplace. They're like, well, what about my client that I booked for 90 days from now? What are they going to do? Right. I mean, obviously they don't want to leave that person in the lurch. Um, it, do you have that conversation with people about what it looks like to actually stop? Is that, that must yep. be terrifying for a lot of people. It is. It, it It is. And my identity is wrapped up in my business. I mean, my business is called Hoys Michaelis and Associates. My name's Hoys. Mm. So how do I walk away from something that has my, my name in it? Um, and the answer is, okay, you do it in some kind of logical fashion. So your example of the catering company, got weddings booked for the next four months, business events, whatever. Okay, well, if I shut the doors, then I realize I'm leaving a lot of people in the lurch. That's probably not great for my reputation in the industry. So my advice in that scenario would be find either you, either you do an orderly wind down, you stop taking clients and for the next four months, you'll wind it down. Or you find one of your competitors who would like to buy you out and then they can take over all those clients. Or maybe you've got an employee who does have some aptitude and wants to take over the business. Great. Maybe they start a new business. You transfer the clients over there and, and it gets worked out. What you have to do in those scenarios is think through logically, how can you extricate yourself from this? And as a business person, as a business owner, you're worried about 10 minutes from now. Like the phone's yeah. ringing. I got to deal with this. I got to deal with that. It's hard to be a strategic thinker in a lot of cases. I mean, I said you needed to have a maker, a seller, and a scorekeeper. If I had to add a fourth one to that, it would be a visionary. Somebody who can see the future and, and see what's coming. That's really helpful as well. So you've got to really take a, a, a long look forward. And the discussion I have with people is, okay, if you weren't working here, where would you be working? What kind of income could you earn? And in a lot of cases, these are highly skilled people. Yeah, they could find a job making 100 grand a year, 200 grand a year, whatever it is. Well, if you're making 20 grand a year working in your business 80 hours a week, you would be better mm -hmm. off as an employee. And in fact, in some cases, I say to the person, look, you'd be better off as a Walmart greeter. You'd be making more money than what you're making. So you got to look at what it looks like today, what it could potentially look like, and then come up with a plan to extricate yourself from that if that's what's required. You know, one of the uh, one of the most interesting things that I thought well, back when I used to have my business brokerage office, uh, we used to have a, a questionnaire, like an intake form when we were dealing with a new business owner that wanted to sell their business. And, you know, I, I'm, you know, there's not much of a market for money losing businesses. So, you know, these people had good profitable businesses, but one of the questions that we had in that intake questionnaire was whether they had ever been through a personal or business bankruptcy. And I was really surprised over the course of time to learn about a third of people check the box. And I had a lot of conversations with those people. And what I learned is that a lot of people had had you know, bad experiences earlier in their careers where they, they had ended up in this kind of problem. They met someone like you who helped them out. They went through that process. 
but then they came back again to fight another day. They ended up building another business at some point in their future. Um, and I would imagine a lot of the lessons from the first business were instrumental in the success of the next business. Can, can you talk a little bit about you know, the day after, you know, if somebody does a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy, what does it look like as far as what they can do after that and how long before, you know, they're, they're considered, you know, forgiven by the banks and the government and all the other people? Well, in a lot of cases, it's like preparing for surgery. We like to get everything lined up in advance. You know, you can't eat the day before your surgery kind of thing. Okay, so if you're going to be winding a business down and maybe the business is going to become insolvent, maybe you're handing the keys back to the bank, can you do it in as orderly a fashion as possible? So you're right. Nobody is going to buy a business on the verge of insolvency. But if you've got a customer list, you've got upcoming orders, maybe somebody else is willing to take those over. So that minimizes the uh, the damage. If you've got employees, is there a way I can make sure everyone gets paid? I can tell everyone, look, the business is shutting down a week from next Tuesday. I'm going to make sure you get your pay up to that point. I would start looking for a job now, whatever, whatever. So that helps minimize the, the heartache and also keeps your reputation good because the day after you're going to need an income. So what are you going to do? You're either going to leave the industry entirely or you're going to go work for perhaps one of your competitors. It's a very, very common thing. So if you file a personal bankruptcy, there is a note on your credit report that stays there for six years after the bankruptcy ends. The minimum bankruptcy period in Canada is nine months. It can be 21 months, 24 months, 36 months, depending on your income, whether you've been insolvent before, whatever. So there is a note on your credit report that says you filed a bankruptcy. If you file a consumer proposal, it's similar. There's a note that says you filed a proposal. The note doesn't stay there quite as long. Okay, well, because there's a note on my credit report, it doesn't mean I'm in jail and I can't do anything. It just means it will be much more difficult to borrow money. So number one, you got to replace your income. And then you begin the rebuilding process. So, okay, my bankruptcy's over. I'm going to apply for a small credit card that puts something positive on my credit report and I gradually rebuild from there. So when you go through an insolvency, we walk you through all of those next steps. Here's what you you need to do. Need to do. But what I, I tell people is, look, don't worry about the future. You've got all this debt that you can't service. And if you don't do something mm. about it, you're getting sued, you're going to court, your wages are going to be garnished, whatever it is. So you have no choice. You have to have the surgery. We'll work on the rehab thereafter. Well, and and I think that's the, you know, everyone wants to point to that that period after and say, you know, well, I don't want, you know, to suffer through the the bad, you know, period with my credit score being low and all that kind of thing. But the reality is that for people that find themselves in this scenario, even some, like I've, I've seen some people where even if they could sort out the business, it might be a decade or more before mm -hmm. they could ever possibly repay the debts that they've accumulated, especially if they wait too long and they end up in, in these increasingly more expensive categories of debt that are only available to people, you know, who get themselves in trouble. Yeah. And your business presumably is undercapitalized now. That's why you're not able mm -hmm. to pay the debts. And as a result, you're not investing as much as you should in, you know, R&D and marketing and, and all the other things you need to do. So your business, even if it continues, is fading, fading, fading against the competitors. And then when you throw in all this debt, yeah, it's it, it perhaps is an impossible situation. So it's, it's like NASA la launching a rocket. You got to make the go, no go decision. 
Is it possible to recapitalize the business, get back on track? Can I go talk to my creditors and say, hey, look, I can pay you 50 cents on the dollar if you'll allow me to continue. That's not going to work with the government, but mm -hmm. maybe some of your suppliers it, it will work with. Can you then increase your revenue? Can you keep your expense? Like all those things. If you can, great. It's worth giving it a shot because you've already got a business that perhaps has some brand recognition and, and so on. But you're right. If you do the math and it's going to take 10 or 15 years to get back to even, then unless you're 20 years old, that does not make a whole lot of sense to me. You're better off having the surgery, getting the tooth pulled and starting over. So it's, it is a difficult question, a difficult thing to address, but you got to look at both sides of it and see what's, what's going to make right, going to be best for you. Well, as a, as a, as a licensed insolvency trustee, commonly called a bankruptcy trustee, how do you get paid? Um, we get a percentage of what's in the pot. So because okay. I'm licensed by the federal government, my fees are in most cases set by tariff. So in a consumer proposal, for example, I'm getting a percentage of the money that is distributed to the creditors. In a bankruptcy, I'm getting a percentage of the money that's there. So if if I have to sell some of your assets, whatever, there's there's money available. Now, if it's a, a situation where the business has gone bust, I've turned the keys off to, to the bank, I've got some personal debts, I'm going personally bankrupt, I don't have any money, then I'm going to say, okay, well, you're going to have to be, you know, sending me a check for 250, 300 bucks a month for however long the bankruptcy lasts. That's where I'm getting my, my fees from. Um, in a corporate bankruptcy situation, we actually have to go to court and have the court sign off as well. So trust me, me getting paid is at the top of my list of things I, you know, I want to understand, but I also want my client to understand the, the person who's going through this uh, with me. So we talk about all of that in advance in, in great detail. And I'll tell you, Dave, there's a lot of cases where someone comes in and says, oh, my business is toast. I need to go bankrupt. And I go, your business doesn't need to go bankrupt. You shut the business. All the suppliers can sue the business all they want. But if there are no personal guarantees attached to your name, who cares? And even if there are attached to your name, the business itself doesn't need to go bankrupt in most cases. The only businesses, corporations mm. that go bankrupt are businesses that have a lot of liabilities, but they have some assets as well. And we need a mechanism to sell the assets to use the, the money towards them. And they're, they're trying to restructure often and sometimes to have something viable come out the other side. Right. So there's there's two kinds of business insolvency, like you said earlier. Bankruptcy, it's okay. We're shutting the doors. We sell the assets. The trustee gets paid out of that and the rest of the money goes to the creditors. The other ones would be a formal restructuring. So that could be done under the Bankruptcy and Insolvency Act through a Division One proposal. It could be done under the CCAA if you're some massive corporation. It could even be done informally. If the business has a shot at surviving but needs a break on the debt, then that could be the proposal. Okay, creditors, here's the deal. We'll pay you 50 cents on the dollar. We've got some new investor who's willing to put money in, but they don't want to fund past losses. So what they're willing to do is put some money in so you all get 50 cents on the dollar and then the business, is, the business can continue. If you don't agree to that, the business goes bust. You get nothing. We'll use that new equity to start a new business. What do you want to do? And so in that scenario, the existing creditors may be willing to take a haircut because it's better than the bankruptcy alternative for all parties. 
And that that really is the litmus test, I would imagine, for most of these nego negotiated settlements is just you try to create some kind of offer that would be more palatable to the creditors rather than the actual bankruptcy solution. That's exactly right. That's exactly how it works. And it's it's palatable in the sense that, OK, you're going to get 50 cents on the dollar instead of nothing. But it's also the business will survive and we will continue to buy from you. So you will be able to make money in the future. And yeah, OK, we understand maybe we got to go on COD. Maybe we got to have security deposits whatever to mitigate the risk to you. But in a successful restructuring, it's a win-win for all parties. Everyone kind of takes a haircut, but comes out the other side, hopefully slightly better off. Awesome. So if somebody's unsure or they, they feel like they need some help, you know, you do have a fee structure, but the that only kicks into play when somebody actually decides to do one of these processes. People can call you up and talk with you. Uh, there isn't any cost to that, right? That's correct. correct. Yeah. The, the law says that I'm not allowed to charge a fee until the process starts. Now, if it's a complicated restructuring, then yes, you know, there, there may be some, some initial charges for that. But in the case of a person, no, there are, there are no charges up front. So if, if someone is saying, oh yeah, we got this $5,000 fee to talk to us, then it's probably someone who's not, who's a bit sketchy. Now I'm not going to spend six months helping you restructure your business for nothing, but absolutely. And in most cases in a half hour phone call, you tell me the story and I can tell you, you know what, I don't see how there's any hope here. Or yeah, you know what? Here's a few tangible things you can do. Why don't you sell off that property? Why don't you do this? Well, there may be a bunch of things you can do yourself to bring the business closer to being level. And from there, we can then decide if a formal process is necessary. And it, and it may be, you got to talk to a lender. It may be talking to someone like you. It may be looking for a buyer for a portion of the business. There's a whole bunch of different things that, that need to be considered when you're in that kind of trouble. Has, you know, you mentioned that you've been doing this for quite some time. Have the issues and problems related to small businesses and debt changed over the course of your career? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, at, at its core, no. You know, you, you got more debt than than uh, assets. I mean, that that's the core of it. But I would think, I would say it, it is more complicated now than perhaps it was in the past. Because... When I started 30 years ago, did we even have HST? I can't remember. Um, we certainly didn't have SIBA loans and all the, you know, government pandemic relief and um, all of the, you know, it used to be your competitor was the person down the street. Now it's somebody online in a different jurisdiction, a different country. There's way more technology now. Um, you got to look at your social media presence and, you know, how is AI affected? I mean, there's a whole bunch of other, other factors. So there are added complexities now, but at its core, it's the same as it's always been. You don't have the cash flow to, to service your debts. That's ultimately the, 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 certainly the symptom of the problem or how the problem presents itself. Hmm. We've got a few people here that have joined us to have some some comments. We've got Kevin who says, good afternoon. Good to see you, Kevin. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Desmond says, hey, David, glad to find the time to listen live. It's good to have you here with us live as well, Desmond. Great to see you. Um, Rico Mike Arroyo says, excellent takeaways and advice for business owners on how to correctly analyze their situation, how to strategically navigate the best solution. And he summarizes, you know, you want to have a cash flow forecasting model. You The dentist analogy about how most people approach their problems. 
And then the key three key areas in the, in the model that you presented, the maker, the seller, and the scorekeeper, and the visionary. Great, great comments there, Rico. Um, this has been great. You know, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, Doug, is because I'm a regular listener of your podcast. Um, I want to tell everyone about uh, about what type of content you create in the name of your show and where people can find it. Yep, it's uh, debt free in thirty. You can sort of see it b behind me there, um, and it's a weekly podcast. I've been doing it since I don't know nineteen fifty or something. It seems like it's been a been a long time, many years. And in it's the very first iTunes store. That's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. When when carrier pigeons had to carry out the the tapes to people, um, and it's focused on well, obviously you know, living debt free, but it's focused much more on the personal insolvency side of things as opposed to the the business side of things. Although I think the episode one or two times ago was about being self-employed. So we certainly touch on those issues as well. And what we try to focus on is practical, 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 practical. Like what can you practically do? Um, so yesterday, this weekend's episode was about, do you need to have more than one bank account? Okay. Well, that seems like a trivial thing to discuss. Well, if you're in financial, and, and this would apply to a business as well. If, you know, how do you prevent CRA or the government from freezing your bank account? Well, one way would be you have two bank accounts at two different banks so that if one of them gets frozen, well, at least I can still meet payroll because I can put some, some money in there. So we talk about practical things like that. Um, so it's 30 minutes every, uh, every week and it's on, um, on YouTube, we film it in the, the studio behind me here, and it's uh, you know on all the all the podcasting apps as well. Awesome! And and if people want to find your firm online, what's uh, what's your website? Um, my last name hoys.com, H-O-Y-E-S.com. So pretty easy to find. And what what most people do is they type in you know whatever their question is, and the the computer kicks it out. So we are um, licensed to operate in Ontario, Canada, but I've got you know, people I know across the country and, uh, you know, don't have the, the same level of contacts in the States that you have, David. But um, if you've got an issue, then, you know, I'm always happy to to be a sounding board. And, and perhaps, uh, you know, if I can't help you directly, then we, we point you in the right direction. Awesome. And, uh, and, and I'll, I'll pitch something there of my own, because uh, if anyone out there needs help to create some kind of cash flow forecast, I've got a whole uh, 13 week program on how to build cash flow forecasts. And people can find that over at bizplanschool.com. It's a cash flow forecasting and business plan writing program. And, and with that, Doug, thank you very much for joining me live. And um, I'm going to wrap things up here by, by playing a few of the uh, exit clips. Uh, and then I'll, I'll see you in just a minute. Thanks, David. Special thanks go to today's video sponsor, Mark Willis of Lake Growth Financial. Mark helps people better manage their personal wealth and business finances through the bank on yourself insurance strategy. This is something I've done personally and I've gotten lots of positive feedback from people I've worked with over the years. Go to newbankingsolution.com to find a playlist of all the interviews I've done with Mark and to learn more about the advantages of these programs. While there, sign up to arrange a conversation about what this solution might look like for you. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site at davidcbarnett.com. You'll find hundreds of articles and videos all for free. You'll find links to my books and online courses, and you can sign up for my email list and get emails covering topics that interest you and be notified of new videos.
This episode of Small Business and Deal Making is brought to you by smbpodcastnetwork.com. The network is a collection of podcasts and shows from around the internet, which focus on bringing you interviews with amazing guests who share actionable advice, ideas, and information for small and medium-sized business owners and entrepreneurs. Visit www.smbpodcastnetwork.com to find more great shows and easily subscribe to be notified of new episodes. It's a great way to discover quality content. And if you've discovered us today via the network, then I hope you're enjoying the show and will consider subscribing directly so you never miss any one of our great episodes.